0: Hello and welcome to Mintedialog, Dialogue, episode number 149. This interview is with Maya Mikhailov, CMO and co-founder of GP Shopper, a mobile integrated platform for retailers and brands. Based out of New York and Chicago, GP Shopper works with companies such as Best Buy, Estee Lauder, Alta, and Nikon. Maya has twice been named guru of mobile by the DMA, is leading the charge with GP Shopper in helping retailers and brands to interact with a mobile connected customer in this podcast we talk about how retailers are approaching the single customer view how and where retailers are creating value for customers as well as other topics such as metrics attribution and creating trust through the mobile enjoy the show welcome to the Minter dialogue podcast where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M Y N D S E T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. And enjoy the show. So, welcome to the Minter Dialogue, and today, you piped in from the States, a lady who I met, ma- actually, I listened to uh, with great interest and intrigue while we were in Las Vegas, the place where nothing is supposed to come out. But this was really interesting, Maya. You are a co-founder and CMO of GP Shopping. So tell us who you are, what you do at GP Shopping, and what's your mindset?
1: Absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot, Mentor, and thanks for the lovely introduction. Um, GP Shopper is an integrated mobile platform. We create white label applications for large retailers and brands. Um, as you mentioned, I am a co-founder and CMO of the company, so I've been with it from the very beginning. And our goals are to really connect shoppers with their favorite retail stores using their device of choice, which, based on their screen time, is definitely the mobile device.
0: Your mindset, how do you describe? I
1: think uh, the mindset in what sense?
0: What's your mindset? How do you describe your mindset? About mobile? No, life in general.
1: <laughs> Generally an optimist, yeah. I would say. I think an optimist with a hint of realism.
0: Okay. Uh, I hear you. So my this this whole topic of the mobile in the store, this is obviously, you know, what um, is a reality for customers. But when you're going out and talking with retailers, to what extent do you see them really taking it on board? Is it something that everybody's interested in or... Is it still a limited few that have really gotten cottoned on to the value of getting this to work?
1: Well, I think whether they were interested in it or not, the data has shifted, and the data has shifted mobile hard. I think that if you look at the U.S. retail penetration, and I'm sure in Europe it is similar, if not more skewed, the majority of traffic to retail sites is simply coming from a mobile device. So whether retailers a couple of years ago took a wait-and-see attitude with mobile or said, hey, we'll jump on board as soon as we see some success stories or we're not so sure, it is becoming simply an inevitable right now. Um, They must get into mobile. Their consumers have already jumped into mobile. And what we're seeing right now is twofold. Um, First, we're seeing a lot of retailers who have experimented with mobile in the past. Perhaps they're refining their programs right now. They're taking the next evolution. Um, They're moving into responsive mobile web. And from that, they're moving essentially into mobile applications to create these deeper engagements. And then we're also seeing a lot of catch-up players, players that perhaps haven't really invested in mobility, took a wait-and-see approach, and are now trying to execute a lot of mobile in a very limited amount of time pre-holiday season.
0: So you have this mobile platform, it's white label, so brands or retailers can, you know, put on top the different uh, layers and make it their own, I assume. You You said you have like 200 different variations?
1: Um, Right. So we have over 200 different features. Um, For example, a store locator, local inventory finder. But ultimately, the branding of the application is to match the retailer branding. So either their digital agency creates the UI layer and the look and feel or their in-house art team, or we obviously have uh, designers of our own. But our intent is to create an experience that does not differentiate from their other channels. So it's very much on brand.
0: Right. you, you Let's say you've concluded, this is great, the price is good, let me put it in. How long does it take for your for the system to be embedded? I mean, there's, there's a technological component, and what else? How, how long does that process happen before it's up and running?
1: Sure. Usually, the biggest chunk of work is the integration process with their existing systems. I would say overall, end-to-end, an application, a mobile application on both Android and iPhone can be launched uh concurrently in approximately 12 to 14 weeks. Sometimes implementations are they get more complicated because you're dealing with legacy systems or you're dealing with APIs that need to be built out. Uh, But generally, I would say it's in the 12 to 14 week range before they can get up and running and have a consumer app that's in the hands of, of their
0: end shoppers. And when you're implementing such a system, what is the role of management and store managers? So, you know, to say that it's a technology and the customer, the end consumer is the user, where is the involvement of management and store personnel?
1: So, depending on what kind of program it is, I think that increasingly there is more involvement of store personnel. Frequently, mobile programs have been led by digital teams, and digital teams frequently have been synonymous in many retail organizations with the online team the com team so i think the first wave of mobility that you saw was basically mobilizing their websites and mobilizing their com experience i think now what you're seeing is retailers are realizing that this device goes into the store and can actually Uh, lift not only store conversion but also the overall store experience which there's a lot of talk right now about experiential stores and that being the wave of the future so i think the store personnel the store management and those in charge of store digital are becoming more involved um, but frequently that um excuse me in the past that hasn't been their their position
0: when you are talking with a brand or a customer potential customer Maya. Uh, what are the, what's the typical profile of the person? In other words, is it the, the retail person or is it the marketing person or is it the CIO uh, or all of them?
1: Sure. I think that it, the idea is usually initiated um, by the marketing team or the business teams, if you will, as they call them in retailers. Uh, usually the marketing team or the digital team is the one initiating the idea. Um, as mobile has become more commonplace, Um, experimental programs that were sort of run with leftover budget that were sort of hidden under under digital um, have gone away, and now you see more stakeholders in the organization. For example, as security has become uh, a great concern in the United States, at least, and I'm, I'm sure around the world of data security, uh, commerce security, et cetera, you've seen CIOs and the technical teams be involved in the validation of the platform and the validation that this is gonna be a securely hosted solution, that the data is being managed correctly. Um, That the application itself has uh, is secure, has been penetration tested, etc.
0: So I'm a punter, as they say in London, or you know, just a shopper. I go into the shop, and you, how will you contact me? In other words, uh, you know, do I have to have been opted in already? Give me a little bit of the customer's view. As I, you know, as I walk into a store that has your system, what's a typical environment? How does it work?
1: Absolutely. So the system is actually had not in the store itself, but it's obviously in the cloud. So the device accesses the cloud. Now, there are several interactions that you can have with us. For example, let's say the retailer has chosen to use geofence push notification that the consumer has opted into. What that means is that as you approach a certain parameter of the store, you might be given a push notification that entices you to come into the store that day. So perhaps they tell you, Hey Minter, um, currently we have men's shirts uh, that are on sale. So if you come in today, there's a 25% off offer on men's shirts. Um, that's one way that the application can interact with the consumer and also drive them into the store Another way is using Bluetooth technology. So as part of our platform, we also have uh, Bluetooth beacons. Um, And so you can set up those beacons in stores and then you can trigger messaging at different locations within the store, or you can simply use those beacons uh, to collect information that you can then later use to better target the consumer. Again, this is strictly an opt-in experience. A consumer needs to opt in and at any point can opt out of this in-store Bluetooth
0: messaging. In this world of privacy and, and guarded information, is, I would imagine that one of the biggest challenges that this, well, retailers are going to face is marketing to the customer to actually get them to opt in. Is that, is that something that you have to talk about a lot, or is that sort of out, out of your remit, or where do you stand on that?
1: Well, I think that we obviously um, encourage them to follow best practices, and we're active in organizations such as the Privacy Forum here in the United States, and we certainly encourage them um, to follow best practices when it comes to a privacy policy and opt-in. But I find that the modern consumer has in many ways mobily and in, for example, social media, um, traded a certain amount of privacy for utility. So, for example, those who use social media applications or who use Facebook may be completely okay with broadcasting their location because it serves them some utility. Perhaps it helps them gather their friends together. Perhaps they've exchanged that location information for an offer. So I think that there is certainly... um, a need to have, to follow privacy best practices, but I think that um, marketers are often surprised with consumers' willingness um, to share certain amounts of information if they see enough utility or value on the other side.
0: Right, we're going to get into that in a moment, Maya. But you, and, and I know you're you're very good on on your privacy, and you talked a lot about that. You're very rigorous about that. But at the same time, I'd be interested. You know, from the multiple brands you're dealing with, do you see any patterns? Uh, sort of such like, you know, to be, let's say, typically stereotypical. Um, 75-year-old men, they don't like, they, first of all, they don't have a phone. Then um, 65-year-old men, 75, they prefer not to be contacted because they find that aggressive. 15- uh, to 18-year-old girls, you know, you can't give them enough. Are there any patterns you find? I mean, or is that just, it's just wildly different or just everyone's the same?
1: No, I think age certainly plays a factor and comfort level with technology. So even across age demographics, if you see a digitally savvy consumer and they're comfortable with push notifications, for example, they might skew older, even though that's not the norm. Um, Certainly with the millennium uh, mobile phone user uh, the idea of sharing location, opting into push notifications, and and various other marketing hooks, is pretty commonplace because it's asked of many of their social media applications. Mm-hmm. I think as you sort of um, progress down the age spectrum, you'll notice that past. Past 35, when you get into the 40s and 50s, you notice a bit of caution where they might not opt in to having all their applications give them push notifications. They might not want to manage that. They might not want to manage location, for example, and they might not want to expose their location to mobile applications or may only want to do so when they are actively running the application, and not when the application is in background. So Apple now gives you multiple settings. So you can say, no, never share my location. Mm-hmm. Yes, only share it when, when I'm actively it. using an application or always share it, for example.
0: In order to get this value add into the customer's... Are you there? Yes. I <laughs> just cut out. In, in order to get the value add into the customer's hands... Yes. The better able you are to collect all my relevant data, sort of from a Facebook, a Twitter, my LinkedIn profile, plus uh, other things that I might have opted in for on the website, the I'm going to guess the better off you are. So is yes and no.
1: I think I think you can ride a line
0: of of utter creepiness. For example,
1: if you collected customers' Facebook information and they walked into a store. And you said to them as a greeting, Minter, you looked great in that shirt last night. Uh, Thank you for wearing it. Do you want to see it in other colors? I think your first reaction is not of surprise and delight. Your first reaction is of shock and awe and not in the good way.
0: (laughs) All right. So uh, then the second component to that is, is the single customer view a, a necessary ingredient of success? And, and how do you manage that process with your customers?
1: I think a single customer view is important in so much as understanding who the customer is when they shop with you. You don't have to understand who the customer is in various other situations. It could help, but it might hurt as well. So I think there's a fine line that marketers have to have to access. For example, if I've willingly shared information with you about my location, about certain preferences I have, if I've said, yes, please market to me if X, Y, Z goes on sale or yes, please tell me about offers in this category, then when I receive that information, I am. I'm happy. It provides me utility. It's what I asked for. But if marketers start going out and aggregating data for the sake of aggregating data, thinking that they're painting a better picture of the consumer, what they might get is twofold. They might get is an inconsistent consumer picture because who they are when they shop with your brand may not be who they are in other aspects of their life. So for example, if they shop with your brand only for their children, well, yes, you know, they have children, but that doesn't necessarily You know, they might not be a fan of your brand for adult clothing. So starting to send them multiple offers on adult clothing, thinking that you can convert them into buying that may not be the best idea. It may, it may annoy them as a matter of fact. So I think there is a balance there of, of unifying a customer view for a retailer across channels that they touch the customer. And I think it gets a little bit more challenging when you start externally trying to unify channels.
0: All right. well then this at the very least one of the things that's important is going to be the purchase data and then yes. uh, the behaviors with regard to your apps that's sort of within an ecosystem right yeah then do you do you um, with some of the companies do you are you are you managing to work with multiple stores and, and sort of like a an Omni version of me so I might have gone into a Sears and in Chicago and I go to a, whatever, you know, a store in Chicago and I go into a, uh, another of those stores when I'm down in Baltimore. That stuff is connected, collected. And, and how do you see that working?
1: So we don't, we don't aggregate across retailers in that sense right now. We don't create these loyalty groups. In the U.S., there's actually a couple of loyalty uh, groups popping up right now that are aggregating across retailers. For example, they're taking Macy's, which is a large department store. They're taking, I believe, Exxon, which is a gas and oil company. They're taking Rite Aid, which is a pharmaceutical company. And they're creating a, a points program across those various different retail mm-hmm. Uh, verticals, and they're offering that to consumers. Uh, The programming is fairly new right now, so it's hard to see the success of it. Um, I think that it is an interesting idea. However, again, for a consumer, you would have to find value in all of those different players. I might find value in one of those players, but not in five of the other ones, and then wonder why I should join a program where I really may not have an Exxon gas station anywhere near me. So why am I you know, joining a loyalty
0: program that collects my data and gives me points for something I'm not going to use. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I'll go. Yeah. I'll, I'll make my question a different way. If I'm going to Gucci in Las Vegas and then I go to Gucci in in New York. Yes. Th- when I walk into the store in New York, does your sister do you sort of promote or uh, how often does this happen effectively? Oh, mentor, thanks for having coming into our store um, I hope you like the sack you bought in Las Vegas
1: I think if they're collecting that type
0: of purchase
1: history data then that's certainly something that it, it's fairly easy to do I don't know the effectiveness of a particular message like that I think what the it would be more effective if I was a global traveler, to start collecting preference information about store associates i prefer to interact with at different locations uh-huh. for example
0: yeah so the, this is the question really is and well how and where do you create value for customers in this give us some examples of, of the utility that you're talking about that will make make for customer experiences you know delightful
1: absolutely i think for client telling purposes uh, it's certainly important especially for the traveling customer to be able to say, hey, listen, I want to walk into a store. I want to have a very efficient experience. And I don't want to have to sit there and explain my preferences to the particular salesperson. I have a salesperson that I deal with in my hometown. Here, for whatever reason, I'm in the city and I just want to go in. I want to purchase the product I want, the size I want. And in that sense, there's utility for them because it creates efficiency in their shopping experience. It creates a better shopping experience for them. I think simply... Uh, to message them, "Hello, thank you for coming to this store. We know you shop at this other store. I, I don't see the utility in that particular type of messaging. Mm. So I think my point is is that the user stories are very personal both to the consumer but also to the brand. You know are the brand's customers frequent travelers or mobile? Are the brand's customers loyal to one particular location really only want to know information about that location and making their shopping trip efficient to that location.
0: Do you get a feeling, so when you're trying to create this utility, or do you, I mean, are are you involved in actually advising on the utility components and the messaging that goes in, or is that you sort of step away from that?
1: Oh, we certainly have best practices, and we have a strategy practice that is led by Bill Zwicky, who was the former editor of Internet Retailer Magazine, and he has been a thought leader in the mobile industry for a while. So we certainly have created best practices around anything from push notification, User targeted messaging, et cetera. So I think uh, that that is something that we provide as a value add to our customers is that type of strategy, what we see work, what we see not work, et cetera.
0: I, I guess, you know, in my head, I'm going through these, these different uh, examples. So, like a, a mother with three children has, you know, is just stress, and working mother with three children, for example, is totally stressed for time, goes into the store and is there, you know, is there a sort of a, a specific kind of customer journey that you're working with them to create as opposed to the 18-year-old who's just finished high school for the day, is going in for a 45-minute, you know, whatever? <laughs> do, you, do you work with them on these different customer experiences, or how, how does that go down?
1: Absolutely. Um, for many of our retail partners, we help them identify these users. Sometimes they, as an organization, already have these users identified. Um, They have the Sally's, the Bob's, et cetera, identified and profiled. And then what we help them do is understand how mobility plays with the goals of those various customers. So in some cases, there there may not be a clear use case, but in other cases, they can really add a lot of value to the customer experience. For example, as you pointed out, the mom who's running back and forth between soccer practice and and, uh, ballet practice, et cetera may really want her mobile application to tell her exactly what aisle to go to, to pick up what she needs so that she can have a very efficient store experience. And for that store experience, that that makes her loyal to the brand that she knows that the retailer is telling her, go to this aisle. This is all you need rather than dragging her around the entire store.
0: When you're selling in your, your service, Amaya, um, there's a cost. and, And so inevitably it's like, well, how do you justify it? So, uh, are, are typically your retailing clients, are they, are they saying, well, you know, it's all about conversion and, num- and numbers at the till, or what are the best, in maybe it's best practice land, what are the ways that people are, are evaluating the success of implementing your platform?
1: Absolutely. I think that when mobile and certainly mobile applications, which is our focus, started, the big measurement of success is how much lift can I get on the device, um, how, how can I get them to convert and buy only on this device and sort of ignore the rest of the customer journey? What savvier marketers are realizing now is the mobile device really sits across channels and that what they should be looking at instead is instead of looking at did I get this particular person on this particular moment to convert on the device, they should look at annual spend to the customer, and to the Mm -hmm. brand. And think about, are they engaging with the mobile device? Does that make them engage with the brand more? For example, uh, as a cross-brand statistic, we have found that users are spending over 20 minutes a month in these mobile applications. So 20 minutes a month in a shopping application has brand value as well, because it lifts that brand in the consumer consciousness, and it causes them to be more loyal to the brand, to spend more across channels, not necessarily on the mobile device. Um, Do we want to facilitate commerce on the mobile device? Absolutely. But that's just really one angle of looking at it. I think KPIs that include engagement – KPIs that include interaction with loyalty programs, using loyalty programs, redeeming points, etc., are equally as valuable to a, a retailer who's taking a customer-centric view versus a channel-centric view.
0: Do you see a lot of uh, your customers talking about
1: lifetime value? And, and... Um, we're sorry, we're hearing that more and more. We're actually seeing what we're seeing a lot of is we're seeing retailers in the United States really start stepping back and saying, "Listen." For so long, we've treated online as almost a separate PL or a separate storefront. And what we really need to do is start putting, stop, stop having our channels compete with one another and start putting the customer in the center, strengthen our CRM programs, strengthen our loyalty programs, and then as an organization work towards one goal, which is how can we lift overall annualized spend from that customer versus how can I give them a 25% off coupon online and only a 10% coupon off in-store and watch that frustration occur.
0: So I I know amongst your clients, Estee Lauder and many of the other brands I recognize, are you, so if I'm a brand, but I'm also sold in wholesalers as well as maybe Mm -hmm. have my own, uh, stores. Do, do you have any? How does that work? If I'm a, you know, if I'm a brand that's sold in Macy's but also happens to have my own, my own stores or my own locations, is that, is that something that's complicated, or, or is that something you're also being able to manage?
1: I think that that is something that we manage in different ways. So, for example, that you gave the example of Estee Lauder, and with Estee Lauder, we have an in-store tablet application that assists in. Helping uh, the beauty advisors um, present products uh, with reviews, with videos, and also present products to international customers and help them and help basically facilitate a conversation where an international customer may may have a color variant that's not available in the market that they've traveled to, but there may be an equally compelling color variant if only that communication can occur. Um, So what we're seeing with brands though, as as more and more brands are pushing direct to consumer, Mm -hmm. it is creating an interesting experience on mobile because the brand now also wants to have ownership over that customer. The brand also wants to say, hey, we've created Mm -hmm. this demand by being the brand mm-hmm. you know we we've created this demand in stores uh, many brands are very uh they're very aware of the fact that they have these wholesale channels they often in their store locator will list all their wholesale channels not the wholly owned ones because they want to obviously encourage um brand spend at any of their channel partners
0: yeah it gets interesting so um when you're putting in your system i mean because the, the estate order one there for, sounds like a little bit sort of a different one because it's it's sales personnel, you know, beauty advisors, at at their gift ca- at their counter, helping interact as opposed to the customer side. Um, yep. When um, when you're implementing your system, what are the bigger obstacles that you face? Uh, whether it's you know cultural leadership, uh, technical. What what do you see?
1: Well, I think there's still some technical uh, obstacles because obviously when you map out what the features and functionality is of a mobile program, sometimes you realize part of, as part of the discovery that those systems are simply unavailable or there's no way to extract that data in a meaningful, timely manner to make it useful to a consumer. So I still think there's some technical challenges, although as retailers have evolved their own systems In preparation for things like in-store pickup, we found that these systems have started to become unified and the data is more available and more available in a timely manner. I think one of the challenges that you're finding in mobile, and this is across the board, is attribution um attribution was typically a very simple concept if someone walked into a store and purchased from the store the store received mm-hmm. credit for the purchase but now there are so many new cross channel mm-hmm. uh both devices obviously the mobile device but cross channel programs too for example you can order online but return in stores so now all of a sudden are the stores Are the stores dinged for the return, even though they didn't receive credit for the purchase themselves? Mm -hmm. And what if I'm standing within a store, I use my mobile application, I realize they don't have the size and color available, but I still want the product and I use my mobile device to buy from that very same brand or retailer while standing in their store on my mobile device. I think the biggest challenge for retailers right now is what part of the organization gets quote unquote credit for that purchase And I think that that's going to be an ongoing challenge until the organizations themselves start focusing more on sort of the customer centricity and not necessarily uh, having as much focus on where that customer purchase is occurring because customers right now are very fluid. They will purchase online on your website. They will purchase soon on social media. They may purchase on Google with their new buy button. They may purchase on mobile while standing in your store. They may purchase on mobile while standing in someone else's store. Mm -hmm. And I think for the retailer, they ultimately have to be agnostic. They just have to provide the fastest, smoothest experience that is unified so that the customer doesn't think they're dealing with three different retailers or three different brands just because they're on a different device.
0: So amongst the 200 functionalities that you have, uh, as I understand it, you have the payment uh, component, correct? Yep. All
2: right.
0: So that's sort of where the money hits the rubber. Yes. Right. Yes. Very much so. I mean, to to call a spade a spade Um, there, that's where the biggest element of trust is needed. Uh, you know, in terms of a customer finally making that final act. One, one of the question I have here, and it's somebody just too, so resident to anything we're doing in marketing, but how are you helping or how do you see brands fostering greater trust with their customers? In, in And, is, you know, the, the payment is just sort of the tip of the iceberg in a sense.
1: Well, I think, again, everything, trust starts with transparency. If a brand... be transparent i want this bit of data from you and the reason i want this bit of data is because i will give you x value in return that builds trust when brands start making assumptions on behalf of their customers and big assumptions on what their customers want or what their customers are willing to share that's where you see trust breakdown. but in the area of payments I think it's a very exciting area in mobility right now. To your point, it's where the rubber hits the road and it finally connects all the dots of did that digital discovery, did that browsing action that I, that occurred on desktop or at the bus stop on my mobile phone really actually lead to an eventual purchase in store. Um, but the, It's a very fascinating area and it's an area where we partner, for example, with financial institutions, with large financial institutions. So we, we, Use, you know, obviously very secure techniques to connect to those institutions. Um, But I think what you're seeing now is that stores are becoming more willing to accept digital forms of payment now, whether it's a private label credit card that's been digitalized, whether it's PayPal that's pushing into stores or whatnot. I think you're, you're seeing more and more stores that are realizing that customers are open to this idea if it's done in a secure fashion.
2: Mm,
0: hallelujah. So last question, Maya, and it also could be relevant for payment. <coughs> um, the mobile that is now a square object on your wrist and mine, the Apple Watch.
1: <laughs> yes, so very much so. How,
0: tell me, first of all, what's your first impressions of it? And then talk about it as a uh, an element in the new disposi- disposition. Is it the 201st function for your company, or how do you how are you going to integrate it? or How does it impact?
1: Well, my first impressions were that it was it's uh, a, bit weighty, um, a a bit weighty, a bit weighty, uh, a bit. It's elegant, but I see it as a first step, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. That's I true. see it as as a first step, just as the iPod was a first step to a consumer res- revolution, I see this as a great first step. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using it. Um, there, there aren't as many apps available for it. There are some, and they have some great use cases. For example, uh, Uber, which I, I think you might be familiar oh, with boy. as well. Oh, yeah. um, it tells me when cars are available. It tells me how far away my car is. And that is simple information that I don't necessarily need to look down at my phone on, but the availability of just looking at my wrist and saying, "Yep, yeah, it's about two minutes away," and there it is. Mm-hmm. It's not something I need to constantly check a bigger screen for. So I think the smarter mobile players are using it for this little bite-sized hints of information that create that sort of uh, uh, that value. Uh, for the customer. So with the case of Uber, with the case of some retailers, they're mobilizing their loyalty program so that instead of carrying a plastic card around with me, I have it on my wrist. Obviously, Apple Pay is on my wrist as well now. So that makes it easier to simply swipe my wrist at register to pay. So those are are great use cases. I have found it to be generally not, I, I thought it would be much more intrusive uh than it has been um but i found it to be generally a bit subtle Mm -hmm. um i've i've worn down the battery quite quickly so i'm not sure quite what i'm doing (laughs) you're
0: using it a lot you might have a lot of the apps uh, in the background then i guess or something
1: exactly and i might be trying to use them all at at the same time in my various experiments but otherwise i find it to be generally a pretty useful device
0: i can i was just thinking i mean trying to be uh, let's say think in another person's shoes, a woman's shoes, running around the house. Well, men, you know, we, we have our pockets. we always, you know, wearing trousers and all that. So it's sort of a, a logical place for the phone. Whereas I can imagine how often... Um, well, I mean, I don't want to be sexist about this, but, you know, there are lesser, easier pockets for in women's attire. Uh, you know, of course, that's not to say that you don't wear trousers and all that, but uh, I was just wondering if that, you think that there's a, a greater usage... Uh, because you don't have to carry the phone around all the time. Do you, do you well sort of... sure, but
1: you still need the phone to pair with the device, so you can't completely leave the phone at home and nor do you want to because no, well,
0: around, have... I was thinking you know, around around the home, around the office, instead of always having to have it on you or always bringing in a pocketbook in which you have everything. Well of course you have That's... to be you can't be too far I, away. I, I think suppose.
1: there's some legitimacy to that. However, to be frank with you, I'm so used to having my phone with me right. at this point. <laughs> I, I've even forgotten. I, embarrassingly, I was at a, a business lunch where I actually forgot my entire pocketbook, but did not forget <laughs> my phone. And I had a waiter chase me out of the restaurant, handing me my entire pocketbook. And I didn't notice because I was in a conversation, and I had what is essentially my essential device, right. which
0: is the mobile phone. And it certainly isn't the watch yet. So, but what <laughs> about not the, quite yet? No, what about the watch within your system? Is is it something that you're already seeing? Uh, customers asking for or is that still early days?
1: I think we're seeing some retailers experiment with programs like I brought up right now that there's been experimentation with loyalty programs. Um, certainly if you're doing any sort of messaging within your app, the messaging also appears on your wrist. So it's an easier way to expose messaging where they might not fish a phone out of their pocketbook to your to your example. But if they would get a geofence message on the wrist, they might pay more attention to it because it's easier to glance at. Mm -hmm. So I think that that, and and that doesn't require necessarily a a whole new pro it doesn't require any new programming. It's just using the same geo push notifications that our applications already have. It's just understanding that they may be glancing at their wrist. So be judicious in how many words you choose. Um, But I, I think that, the use cases are still evolving. It'll be interesting to see also use cases where employees could possibly have access to the device and if that can help them assist in customer service, For example, in a large format store where employees may have to run from one location to another if their risk could tell them where they needed to be, rather than paging on an over uh, paging on a microphone system throughout the entire store. Um, that might be useful, for example, if you're in a home improvement store and you had an expert in carpentry, but they were, were currently not standing near the aisle with jigsaws um, to be able to page them on the wrist and say, listen, there's a customer. He needs help with, with something that you're an expert in. Can you please meet in this aisle? It, it's much more convenient than having a tablet device on you, which, take a, which takes up your entire hand.
0: Yeah, I, I'm smiling as I listen to you. I, I have this notion in my mind it's at the same time hands-free and a two-handed machine. Mm-hmm. It's two-handed because you you have to, it's on your wrist. So you can't. It mobilizes the wrist, and you need the other hand to touch it. So you, both of your hands are actually taken. At the same time, it's hands-free because if you just have the notification, all you have to do is turn your wrist. It, you know, you can still carry the books or the you know the the new sink that you're doing in this home care, big you know whatever. So it's kind of a, it's stuff to be discovered. Maya uh, so time has now come to where it needs to in terms of our chat together and appreciate having you on I, 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 I love what you're doing I think it's really interesting and uh, GP shopper uh, you you're based in New York and Boston as I understand is that correct in New York and Chicago and Chicago sorry and uh, and your clients are typically North American or are you working with clients outside of North America as well
1: Our clients are typically North American, um, but we've had so much interest for both the beacon technology and also, I think, as the European market is becoming much more friendly to mobile applications. Uh, The mobile internet hit the European market um, faster and sooner than it hit the US, but now I think there's an evolution into uh, mobile applications, so we've certainly had some great conversations with retailers on the other side of the pond, if hmm. you will, and right. I will be out there uh, in June again um, at the the same conference that we met at at the European leg.
0: Oh, cool! Demandware. Yes. Yeah, cool. So, Maya, what's the best way for someone to contact you or follow you, if you prefer?
1: Um, they can certainly follow us on Twitter at gp uh, at gp shopper. If they look at gp shopper on Twitter, um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, or they can feel
0: free if they have a great idea to email me directly, Maya at GPshopper.com. Splendid. All right. Well, um, Maya, I appreciate coming on the show. Good luck with everything. You are at the forefront here, and I think really the uh, you know the whole positioning about getting customer centric. You clearly have a lot of evangelizing still to do, if only to break down the silos and some old uh, legacy ma- mindsets. But Getting the customer to have a delightful experience in the store is, is the ambition, right?
1: Absolutely. I think it should be the goal of every retailer with physical locations right now is to leverage those physical locations to create experiential shopping. Their physical locations are power. They are marketing engines. Hmm. And um, I think that we'll see much more digital experimentation in the coming
0: years Looking forward to it, Maya. Thanks again.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Minter.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's Mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. Sting